This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to the Homeschool with Moxie podcast, where our goal is to inspire and encourage you with actionable strategies to take you from overwhelmed to confident in your homeschool adventure. I'm Abby Banks, and this is episode number nine. This episode is brought to you by my workshop, How to Homeschool Multiple Ages Without Losing Your Mind. You can find it at 41more.com forward slash workshop. Do you homeschool multiple ages and feel like you're just trying to survive? Or maybe you're afraid to homeschool because you don't know how you could possibly do it with several kids. I'm here to tell you that it's not as hard as it seems. You just need a workable strategy. Find out more at 41more.com forward slash workshop. Welcome to episode number nine, understanding your kids' personalities. Have you ever taken one of those personality tests where they figure out exactly what makes you tick and why you are the way you are? I remember taking several in high school or college or in my 20s, and it was always interesting to say, oh, that's why I feel that way when this happens. It it is interesting to get some self-awareness in those areas, but Once you have kids, it's super interesting to figure out what makes your kids tick. And if you're homeschooling especially, I mean, we're around our kids all the time. We have to get them to complete their work and their chores. And, you know, they can be a quandary. Some of our kids are the opposite of what we are, and we tend to butt heads, right? And then some are just very docile, and we get along well. I found a really interesting book by Gretchen Rubin. She's a New York Times uh, bestselling author, and she wrote The Four Tendencies. And this book gave me so much insight about why my kids do what they do. Because here's the thing. Did you ever wonder why some of your kids are self-starters and don't need a lot of motivation? But then you have others, maybe in your own house, that need daily and hourly check-ins from you so that they can complete their assignment. Like, why so vastly different? They're in the same family. Or did you ever wonder why some people seem put off by expectations that others put on them while others crave being needed? Even in adults, I've been found it very interesting. Once I knew about these four tendencies, I can spot them everywhere. And it really explains a lot. Even with some friends I have, family members, I go, oh, that's why they do that, because of their tendency. Well, today I want to talk about Gretchen Rubin's book, The Four Tendencies, but not just her framework, but more specifically how it relates to homeschooling. She didn't specifically talk about homeschooling in her book, but when I read it, I could see how much of this is applicable to making sure we understand our kids and how to best work with them to get them to be successful and to accomplish goals. Because as you know, no two kids are alike. They're so different. And if we can figure out what's making them tick and how are they responding to things, it's going to give us this insight that's going to make our job a whole lot easier as a homeschool mom. The main question that Gretchen Rubin's framework addresses is this. How do I respond to expectations? And of course, there are outer expectations that people around you put on you. Maybe your employer, if you're a kid, it'd be your parents. There's always outer expectations. 
But there's also inner expectations of what you expect of yourself. Based on your responses, you are one of four things. You are either an upholder, a questioner, an obliger, or a rebel. And if you go to the show notes for today's episode at 41more.com forward slash nine, I'll put a link there to Gretchen Rubin's website where she has a short online quiz that you can take and it'll tell you exactly which personality profile you are. So if you want to pause this episode, go ahead and pause it. Go take that quiz, find the link at 41more.com forward slash nine, and then come back and listen to the rest of this episode, and it'll be really much more interesting once you know what you are. So once you understand the main characteristics of each tendency, you'll actually know how to motivate your homeschooled kids better. And the great thing is you might not be as frustrated with them because you'll understand them a little bit more. And so those things that normally frustrate you about their personalities or about their work habits... It's not going to make you feel so, so frustrated. So what exactly do these four tendencies look like in real life and in particular in the life of a homeschooler? Let's start with the upholder. Upholders are those people that meet both inner and outer expectations. So their theme of life would be discipline is my freedom. Now, if you're homeschooling an upholder child, you're going to notice that they are self-motivated. They want to meet your expectations. They love to keep track of schedules. They're the routine kind of kids. And they might not need much supervision because they have that own inner expectation of being successful and completing assignments. So these maybe are kind of, I don't know, the best kind of kids to homeschool. But there are always some cons, of course. They can't let go of expectations very well. They need expectations to be clear. And if you have some sudden change going on, these are the kids that are going to have a hard time handling that. If they make mistakes, they can be so hard on themselves that they become angry or defensive. So these are the kids that they could get so angry when, they, when they're messing up or don't understand an assignment or make mistakes. Do you have one of these kids in your house? They're going to work hard, embrace routine, and take initiative because they know that you have expectations on them. They're what they want to meet those expectations from their parent, and they also have inner expectations. But the thing is, you don't want to exaggerate with these kind of kids to get compliance because they are going to put so much burden on themselves that it could it, it'll just really stress them out. In Gretchen Rubin's book, The Four Tendencies, on page 53, here's what she says about an upholder. She says, it's easy for an upholder to lock on to an expectation and spend tremendous energy and time living up to it, even if it's not something that he or she wants to do or even a good idea. A casual comment like, you should enter the spelling bee, might set off an enormous and unintended chain reaction. So, do you have an upholder child in your homeschool where they meet your expectations and they also put quite uh, heavy inner expectations on themselves? They do. A, they might be really hard workers, but it can also add a lot of stress to them. They can feel very defensive when they make mistakes. So you have to watch out for those kind of things and balance them well. So that's the upholder. Number two is the questioner. These are the kids who, you know, they're asking all those questions because they will meet inner expectations and resist outer expectations. Their theme is, I'll comply if you convince me why. And that's why they're asking so many questions. They're trying to figure out if they are going to make your expectation, which comes from the outside of them, if they're going to adopt that as their own inner expectation. 
And if you have, if you yourself are a questioner, I personally am a questioner. And it, it, when I learned I was a questioner, I thought, oh, this makes so much sense because I always have analysis paralysis when I'm making decisions because I need to research, 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 to ask questions. And I, it takes me so long to finally crystallize what I think of something. I don't just listen to outside opinions. I have to take them all in, figure out if I agree. And so when I finally learned that I was a questioner, oh, I made so much more sense to myself, and now I understand it. Well, if you're homeschooling a questioner child, you know that once they're convinced of something, they're going to meet those expectations. So you're going to want to spend time maybe explaining the rationale to them of the schedule. Here's why we're doing it this way, because we need to be done at this time to go here. And they love to understand these things. They want to gather information. Um, they love customizing things. So homeschooling is wonderful to be able to customize to the child. And here are some other things to consider. A questioner child is going to know when you're giving them busy work and something that seems pointless, and they're not going to want to do it. So if your child is resisting some work, see if it's because they think it's pointless or just to keep them busy. And if it really isn't, then you're going to want to explain the rationale to them so they can understand it. And then they're probably going to make that an inner expectation of, okay, I guess I do need to do this assignment. It makes sense. And they'll do it. The questioner child or adult doesn't like arbitrary rules. And so you saying, because I said so, that's just not going to do it for them. Of course, these are the people that have a hundred questions and you have to be patient and try to satisfy their need to understand. So homeschooling is a great choice for a questioner child because if they were in a traditional classroom, they wouldn't be able to ask so many questions about what's expected and being able to uh, customize where they need to. Because in a classroom, they'd have to uh, fit into the status quo, as you know. So on Gretchen Rubin's book, pages 92 and 93, she talks about a questioner child. And this is really interesting because I could imagine this conversation happening in my house when we're trying to do some schoolwork. So here's her example on page 92 and 93. Gretchen says, so when a questioner child questions an assignment or expectation, a teacher or parent would do well to provide a thoughtful justification. If a questioner student asks, why do I need to know about ancient Mesopotamia? This will never be any use to me. A teacher might respond unhelpfully, well, this is what we're studying now, so get with the program. Or helpfully, you're learning about Mesopotamia, true, but this assignment is teaching you much more. You're learning how to analyze complex material quickly, how to pull essential ideas out of a text, and how to take notes efficiently, how to explain ideas in your own words. These are important skills that will serve you well. So can you tell that... You can't just give arbitrary assignments to a questioner. They want to understand. But once they understand, they'll adopt those expectations that were yours, the outer expectations, and they'll make them their own expectations inner. So that's how you kind of have to navigate things with a questioner child. Okay, here's number three, the obliger. Now, the obliger is the largest tendency, but sometimes it's hard to spot this in children. It's easier to spot the extreme tendencies, which are upholder and rebel, and the obliger is harder to see. But I, looking at adults, I can, I can easily spot this in adults because these are the people that meet outer expectations but resist inner expectations. Their theme would be, you can count on me, and I'm counting on you to count on me. 
These are sometimes the adults that I know in my life that are quick to volunteer for everything because they feel that outer expectation on them that they need to be they need to be faithful and they people are counting on them to serve and to volunteer. But then they're so, they get so burnt out because to them, um, you know, they're just they're just weighted down with all the outer expectations. So you got to be careful with that. But in a kid, how would it look like to homeschool and oblige your child? Well, the good parts are that they succeed with supervision and deadlines. So these are the kids that love those outer expectations of here's when the, here's the deadline and I'm going to check on you, and they love accountability. So give it to them. These are the kids that need that. And it's better for you to encourage them than to nag. But they will definitely fulfill their commitments. They're going to work hard. They're going to do it because they know that it's expected of them. But there's a flip side that can be negative. You have to be careful with obligers because they can try so hard to please you that they burn out or get overwhelmed. And these external pressures can create great stress. Do you have one of these kids in your house? You know, they have a harder time meeting inner expectations, so it's easier to take advantage of them. So you have to be careful. When homeschooling an obliger child, they actually might need you to create external systems of accountability. So obliger children may do well in a co-op class where they know there's some expectations and deadlines there, or an online class, or a workbox system, or some kind of definite schedule. They need to know that you're monitoring their, their progress and that you're going to check in on them. So here's what Gretchen Rubin says about obligers on page 147 of her book, The Four Tendencies. She says, obliger children, like all obligers, respond to accountability. If an obliger child is supposed to practice the piano, it would be helpful to keep a chart of practice times with the teacher, which the teacher or parents would review with the child. Gentle reminders help too, like, it's four o'clock, time to practice. Or the teacher should explain, I can tell if you've been practicing or not. So can you tell that the obliger children, they love that knowing that they're going to be checked up on or knowing that there's a routine that everyone's going to know if they fulfilled or not. That is the obliger child. And I see this tendency a lot in adults, like I mentioned. It's easier to see in adults, not as much to see in kids. But here's the last tendency, the rebel. So the rebel and the upholder are polar opposites. Can you tell just by the names? The upholder is going to uphold both inner and outer expectations, while the rebel is going to resist outer and inner expectations. Do you want to guess what the rebel's theme is? The rebel's theme is, you can't make me, and neither can I. Homeschooling a rebel could be a challenge, but you have to know how to navigate it. So with a rebel, choice and freedom are going to be important to use versus duty and order. So if you can give them a choice and choosing when they're going to do it, or exactly um, what they're going to be accomplishing that's going to be easier for them. But here's the thing, challenges motivate them as well. So if you can't give your rebel homeschooling child a lot of freedom, you could actually use challenges to your advantage and see if they love a challenge, see if they can meet it. Set up a challenge for each of their subjects. Can they get to it? Cons of a rebel child would probably be what you would expect. They tend to resist instruction, Telling them to do something could be counterproductive because they sometimes do the opposite of what you tell them. But when homeschooling a rebel, it's probably helpful to be clear with them. Let them know about natural consequences and then leave them with the choice. That's going to be real life anyway, isn't it? They're going to have a choice and here are the consequences depending on what decision you make. So for example, 
if you don't complete your assignment, you can't get credit for this class, and then you'll have to work on it during your summer break. So that's a natural consequence. Okay, here's what's going to happen. What are you going to do about it? You can even offer help. Maybe if you said, you know, would you be able to complete this assignment if I organize the supplies for you? Or would you enjoy this book more if we read it together? That's giving a little bit of choice and freedom, but still getting accomplished what you need in your homeschool. Does that make sense? I loved also that Gretchen said that rebel kids tend to have a close relationship with grandparents. So if you have a rebel child that you're struggling with in homeschool, see if you can enlist the grandparents to help because they might be able to motivate them and they might listen to them well. They usually have a good relationship. So what do you think? Do you have one of each in your home? Do you have mainly one or the other? It's also really interesting if you go and take the online quiz and have your spouse take it as well, it might explain some interesting dynamics in your marriage. Like why do you do what you do? How do you get along the way you do? I think it's really fascinating and it's brilliant to be able to figure out, okay, My kids are made a certain way. How can I best use their natural inclinations, the way they naturally respond to expectations? How can I use this to help them be successful in homeschool and in life? So if you would like to check out this quiz, I'll put the link in the show notes at 41more.com forward slash nine. That's the quiz that Gretchen Rubin has about the four tendencies. And I also made a great infographic summary of the four tendencies that you can also download at the show notes. And it might be fun to grab that so that when you're seeing which which tendency each of your kids falls into, you can also look and see how to best help them navigate through that with their homeschooling. So I hope this has been helpful. Thanks for hanging out with me for the Homeschool with Moxie podcast. And once again, this podcast is brought to you by my online workshop, How to Homeschool Multiple Ages Without Losing Your Mind. To find out more, go to 41more.com forward slash workshop. Happy homeschooling. Happy homeschooling.